Welcome back, everybody, to the Dan and Joe Sports Show here on a Wednesday night. As always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe. All right, Joe. Well, uh, a lot of, lot of lot of things going on right now in the sports world. Um, you know, of course, uh, right now we're all waiting to hear what's going to happen with the college football season. That's the, the main thing. Later on in the show, we're going to talk about uh, our top 10 for the college football season. We're about five weeks out, and so what we're planning on doing is for the next five weeks, we're choosing two of the top 10 teams in a distinct order. So this week we've got our number nine and our number 10 team. Now we're going to get into that in a little bit. But, uh, Joe, I thought we'd start off with getting into what the biggest story in all the sports world is right now. And that, of course, is the Marlins having uh, multiple people test positive for COVID-19. I believe they had 11 players and two coaches. And they've had two games suspended because of it. And it's causing a lot of people to doubt what's going to happen the rest of the season of Major League Baseball. Yeah, that's right, Dan. It's very strange because you have the Marlins suspending their play this week. So they're not going to resume play, I think, until Monday. And then the team that they played last on Sunday, the Phillies, they've been setting out this week for precaution. Luckily, all of their players uh, tested um, negative for the virus. But you have everybody else in the league still playing like everything's fine. So it's kind of a weird, I guess, you know, just that's the day and age that we live in with the pandemic, kind of a weird vibe, but it is discouraging as a sports fan that so many players on this one team tested positive so quickly after the resumption of play, Um, you know, with baseball being a sport that of the team sports is about as socially distanced naturally as it gets within the rules. Um, If they're having that outbreak, you know, without having a bubble, it makes you worry and wonder how football is going to make this work. Yeah, because you have a lot less players in baseball. You have a lot less physical contact. I mean, really, the only physical contact you have in baseball is, I guess, you throwing the ball to each other, you each touch the ball, and then, of course, uh, tagging people out and things of that nature. But really, there's a whole lot less than you think about football being the ultimate contact sport, tackles on every play, everyone's touching the ball. Uh, there's a lot to worry gloves, but, I mean, offensive linemen, I mean, how do you possibly keep the offensive linemen from not getting hit? Yeah, I mean, it's a very a very good question. Um, there was a very interesting article today on ESPN. I encourage all of our listeners to check it out. And it talked about how athletes in all of the sports are going to have to think twice about spitting, about um, licking their fingers, about, you know, anything that was kind of commonplace on the sidelines, you're just rubbing your face in between plays. That, that's going to be something that guys are going to have to be thinking about, be conscious of, because they can so easily pass the virus and spread it around. And, you know, thinking back to the Marlins example, what really is, is troubling about that development, I think, is it shows you if the virus just gets to one person on the team, you know, if one person, um, decides to go out, um, you know, and party or just, you know, go out and leave kind of the hotel one night, you know, anything could happen. Um, they, they could unknowingly bring the virus back. And then the next thing you know, everybody on the team 
has it, you know, within a couple of days. So it just kind of takes account an accountability system like we've never seen before. And you hate, you know, to have to have that for these guys. You know, you want them to be able to live their life freely. But just right now, it really takes a lot of accountability to make this happen. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have to limit your exposure to, to people, to events. Uh, right, going out after a game can get a lot more difficult. Um, I mean, I think right now, nationally, going out anywhere is becoming harder because I know in Alabama and Mississippi now, they've passed the ball that came and sell alcohol after 11. So I think it definitely be more difficult for, for people to go out and, and party or anything after games. That might restrict some of that, but still, if players go out to eat, go to the mall, whatever, you're still putting yourself around a lot of people. And I've heard they're trying to make it, uh, I think in some of the NFL teams, it, it can be something they can invalidate your contract and put yourself in what they call events where there could be more people around you. Yeah. Yeah, and I know that, you know, like the NBA, um, starting back, they're talking about if a player leaves uh, the Orlando bubble um, without a justifiable reason, you know, and you get exposed, they're going to find you for the games that you miss in isolation. Uh, Joe, something I wanted, this is not a sports issue, but I just wanted to get your, your opinion on it. Apparently a new thing now on the internet is uh, mask shaming. It's uh, taking pictures of people out in public that are not wearing masks and plus they should be, and then post them all on the internet to make them feel bad about themselves and possibly to get them into trouble with other people. What do you think about that? Do you think that's okay to do that? Or do you think that's just uh, people just being bad? I, I mean, I don't necessarily, you know, just me personally, I don't really condone that. But, you know, I do kind of get to some degree people's frustration when they see people going out in public and not wearing a mask right now during the pandemic. So, you know, it's not... You, you know me, like that's not anything I would ever do, but, you know, I'm not going to completely, I guess, be critical of someone for, for choosing to do that. Yeah, here's, here's my opinion on it. I think everyone should be wearing, wearing masks. And I'm not going to, like, mask shame someone, but I can't necessarily blame somebody for doing that. Because I do feel like it's a very selfish act at this point for someone to not be wearing a mask throughout the place. And you see it every day. And you and I mean, you know, to be honest, I think it's the older generation that's being worse about it. People I'm seeing our age, Jim, are people that are wearing masks. It's actually the people that are in the danger age range that seem to be the ones that refuse to wear it. Well, you know, what surprised me um, watching some of the baseball games over the weekend, and this was prior to the Marlins outbreak of the virus, you saw a lot of teams, a lot of players behaving just like any other season. Like I still saw some spitting. Um, I saw a lot of high-fiving um, after a walk-off uh, celebration on Sunday. I can't remember what team it was. The players, you know, were swarming each other at home plate just like any other season. And, you know, it's real easy, especially if you live in an area where it's not a hot spot for the virus or maybe you haven't known as many people that have um, gotten corona. You know, it's easy to forget but again, you know, when you go into a group of people, whether, you know, if you're in public, at the store, restaurant, any setting, you know, it just takes that one person that can lead to the spread. You just don't know where everybody's been. And, and the more people like the larger the group of people not wearing masks, just, you know, 
the probability only increases. Yeah, I mean, and like I said, I've been to places where they're like small condensed spaces, and I was like the only one wearing a mask. That was like really all. I mean, it's just, um, yeah. So my point is that I'm not going to personally ever find someone that's in a public place and take a picture of it and put it online and mash them. But I'm not going to say I blame you if you do that to somebody. It's yeah. Way out the fact that the don't Right. Because bottom line, the mass aren't for the safety of yourself, it's for the safety of others. Yeah, I mean, at this point, the last thing I'll say about it, you know, everything we've been through, you know, nobody likes what we're going through. I mean, it's, you know, very frustrating. And so at this point, you know, anything we can do to expedite, you know, reaching the finish line of this pandemic is in the best interest of our society. You know, so just even selfishly, you know, it's, it's in your best interest to put the mask on so that we don't just continue this into uh, perpetuity. That's right. And uh, speaking of trying to move on, uh, you have football camps, uh, training camps are starting this week in the NFL, and I think they're going to start in college in the next couple of weeks. What is it they're going to try and do to training camps to try and stop the spread of the virus? I mean, the biggest thing, like I alluded to with the article from the NFL um, on ESPN today, it talked about um, Drew Brees, for instance. Um, he's always been known to, uh, every time in between plays, he'll go to his mouth and try to get moisture on his hands before he throws the football. And that's something he's going to stop doing. He's going to try to do it, he says. And I think that that's just one kind of isolated example of something you're going to see a lot of quarterbacks stop doing. You know, stop going to their mouth, um, you know, to get moisture on the football. Um, don't wipe their face as much. They'll have hand sanitizer available. Um, but I think the key, Dan, to making this work, besides personal accountability for the entire team, it also goes back to the frequency of testing, of testing players, you know, every couple of days, of knowing, you know, if someone has it, who they've been in contact with, with contact tracing, getting them out of the locker room as soon as possible. I mean, that's, I think, the biggest thing I'm worried about. It's not so much the spread of the virus on the playing field, but it's the spread of the virus in the locker room setting where I think they've got to be really careful. Well, and I mean, you know, the question is, once you have a guy test positive, how many people do you have to test? Do you have to test everybody, just roommates? I mean, like, just people that are insane, like, you know, defensive linemen, all of the other defensive linemen. That's going to be something they have to think about, too. Well, what, what kind of surprised me, um, going back to baseball, um, prior to uh, last Friday's season opener for the Braves, they had two, they're, they're two catchers, actually both that their starter and their reserve tested positive for the virus, or, or maybe they, they, they showed symptoms of the virus. That's, that's what it was like prior to the, to the first game. And so they both um, were held out, you know, isolated, but I was kind of surprised that, um, you know, everybody else in the team was fine. Um, you know, I, I was actually kind of wondering if they were actually going to be able to play that game with, you know, two of the players um, having symptoms and, you know, feeling under the weather. It, it has kind of surprised me how quickly they're able to figure out who has it and not worry so much about um, the rest of the team. I don't know if that's so much like we got to make this happen, you know, let's not maybe, you know, let, let's not necessarily err on the side of caution or if it's, or if they or if they think that that, that model is thorough enough. 
Well, and now they've got the one day test so that all those people are going to have the access to it. So, I mean, um, So I mean that, that's something they can definitely they can definitely work with and they can figure out uh, who's got it and you know maybe that they're they they can be a little more sophisticated about it and figure out on the team you know who to who to, who to track. Yeah, um, you know, aside from football, I did want to ask you about what the NBA's done and there's been a lot of conversation and dialogue with the respective sports commissioners. I've heard some interviews with the different commissioners about this idea of using the bubble or not using the bubble, you know, kind of like baseball and football are going to play in the stadiums right now and, you know, rely on the players to be smart about this. And whereas hockey and basketball are playing in bubble sites, you know, where they pretty much isolate everybody make sure that everyone that's there is completely isolated and tests negative and they, you know, give routinely give tests while they're in the bubble. Um, do you think the bubble method will work and do you think it's actually the best method? Well, Joe, I, mean, I think that probably from a reducing contact with people thing is the best method, but and kind of takes away everything that makes live sports great, which is playing at a different venues and having it in front of fans. Uh, you know, watching those baseball games where you have the paper fans in the stands and yeah. you know the, the 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 automatic applause that you have when plays happen is just weird. I mean, I'll be honest, I only watched a couple of innings of baseball because it just it just didn't feel right to be watching it like that. Yeah, it's definitely odd, but I do think that playing in the stadiums, it feels more real than it does watching yeah. some of the um, exhibition games that I've seen already in the Orlando bubble. Like, I, I definitely think that it has the higher likelihood of the season not being shut down due to the spread of the virus, but it's a lot better to be able to turn on um, a baseball game or a football game and they're going live from Fenway Park or Lambeau Field. I mean, yeah, it's disappointing to not have the fans there, but at least you have the tradition of a recognizable destination. Whereas the Orlando bubble, I mean, they're playing in courts that look almost like the summer league. It just doesn't quite feel right. Yeah, I mean, I think you need to play it in all the stadiums, whether or not you have fans. Personally, Joe, I think they should allow a certain amount of fans and just make people wear masks and make the, the penalty be pretty severe if someone comes to a game not wearing masks. I mean, I think you can do it. And like I said, I mean, we've talked about what my, my plan is for college football, which is just let students come to games. That's it. I mean, I think that's a simple solution. Um, I think that's more than reasonable. And, you know, with the mask, if someone were not to wear a mask, you know, would that be a penalty against the home team? Or how do you think that that would be officiated, hypothetically? I don't think it should be a penalty against the home team. I think it should be a penalty against that person. I think that there should be a heavy fine that's instituted for that. I don't know about, you know, jail time or something like that. But I think you should put a fine against someone that does that that's enough to where they wouldn't even want to think about doing it. 
and you obviously get kicked out of the game. I think that would be the way to do that. Make it something like a five hundred dollar, thousand dollar fine, and you get kicked out of the game. No, I, I completely concur. I only say the the reference about penalizing the home team kind of jokingly because it's always frustrated me over the years when you'll see um, somebody throw something on the court, like in basketball. Yeah, and you see the, the home team get a technical foul. And you don't know for sure if that fan is even a, a fan of that team. You know, like it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I've always been bothered by that rule because that call is supposed to be stated basketball game last year, right? When, I mean, just someone random threw something out of the court. And you're right, you don't know whether that's a Mississippi State fan or a Georgia fan. I think it was when they were playing Georgia. And, you know, the, the bottom line is in a game like basketball that's that tight, if you do that in the game, you could just be a fan of another team if you cared about the game that much and you knew what the result was going to be. Why wouldn't you do that? Yeah. If you know it's going to work, yeah, sure. Yeah, if you wear a neutral shirt, how are they going to know? Yeah. Uh, and Joe, talking about uh, about winning, though, uh, right now, of course, the Chiefs got Patrick Mahomes for 12 more years. Uh, recently, Tyreek Hill came out and says that he thinks they can win six more Super Bowls with Pat Mahomes. How realistic do you think what his statement is? What do you think the over-under on how many Super Bowls Kansas City is going to win with that event should be? So they got one. I'm going to say that what Tyreek Hill said is not realistic, you know, for a couple of reasons. Um, obviously, right now, the outlook for the Chiefs is very good, very favorable. But, you know, in the NFL or in sports in general, things can change in the blink of an eye. Um, I think that locking up Patrick Mahomes is something the Chiefs had to do. But down the road, actually pretty quickly in the next couple of years, that's going to affect their ability to re-sign some of their higher profile players that help that team be as dominant as they are the last couple of years. You know, can they afford all of the wide receivers, Travis Kelsey, the offensive line, defensive players? I mean, they gave Chris Jones a contract extension, too. I mean, the numbers are adding up. I remember after uh, Breeze and the Saints um, signed his extension for five years, one hundred million dollar contracts back in one hundred million dollar contract back in two thousand twelve. You know the Saints went through a couple of years of missing the playoffs. Um, you know because it took a good draft class in two thousand seventeen to kind of revitalize them with younger talent that didn't cost as much against the salary cap. And so the Chiefs could find themselves, you know, pressed against the cap in a hurry. And they're going to have to rely on developing young players that they draft in order to win Super Bowls in the next, you know, like, like say five or six years from now, there's going to be new names that Patrick Mahomes is throwing the ball to more than likely. So as far as the over under, I'm going to put it probably at two. Um, realistically, I think they could win two to three more Super Bowls, but six, I think I, I, I just don't see that. Yeah, Joe, mine was, was two and a half, and I would tend, you know, if I was a betting man, which I am, I'd bet the under on that. I think that him winning two more Super Bowls and winning three is much more likely than him winning three and winning four, certainly winning six. I mean, you look at all the great quarterbacks that have never won more than one. Right? Or never won more than one. Um you know, it took Peyton Manning until the very end of his career when he kind of ended, he just kind of got put on a team that had a great defense to win his second one. 
So us putting six on him already, that's the same as Tom Brady. And I just, I don't know. I, I think that he'll probably win three, three or last. Maybe he'll only win one more. But I, like I said, I would go the under on two and a half, and I think that it's going to be somewhere between two to four Super Bowls that he wins overall. Well, I mean, you got to think about working against him is a couple of things. Um, you know, Andy Reid is the head coach until this past season. You know, he's always been a guy that people didn't think he could win in the playoffs. And I do think that the Patriots have always been Andy Reid's Achilles heel, and they were able to avoid them in the playoffs this past season. You know, who knows what the Patriots are going to look like, but Bill Belichick is still in the AFC. And then you have the competition of the Ravens. Um, Deshaun Watson is still in the AFC. Um, I know they're not quite as good offensively without Hopkins, but, you know, there are going to be some challengers. Um, I do think the Chiefs could get to several Super Bowls, but then they have, you know, to play some tough teams in the NFC. It actually looks like the NFC, pound for pound, is going to be the stronger conference over the next few years, especially now that you have Tom Brady out of New England and at Tampa. So, you know, that's working against all those factors are working against the Chiefs, uh, working in their favor, the age, you know, and trajectory of Patrick Mahomes. You feel like the sky is the limit and he's only going to get better. You know, he jokes that he wasn't able to even read uh, defenses at first and he finally figured that out. And so, you know, maybe his numbers get maybe they improve. I, I don't know. But the bar has been set high with the success that he's already put forth in his first two seasons as a starter. Um, I think that, you know, you're, you're going to see a hall of fame career, obviously, but I'll, I'll say this, Terry, Terry Bradshaw has four Super Bowls. Joe Montana has four Super Bowls. I mean, nobody else except for Brady, I think he even has more than four. So it, it's really tough to do yeah. that. No, I mean, that, that's, that, that's very high aspirations right there. Uh, Aaron Rodgers has won Super Bowl. Yeah. And I mean, people talk about him as one of the greatest of all time, but he's only won one. I just think it's going to be difficult for him to get over three. And you're right. I mean, the AFC is good. I think the Chiefs have a lot of work they've got to do on their defense. They're going to have to really build some defensive talent because they've lost a lot of people over the last couple of years. And for most of last season, their defense was atrocious. But I will say they played pretty good in the playoffs. We'll see how that transfers in this season. Yeah. Um, you know, the NBA in the bubble, I just, I, I don't think it's, it's just not going to be as good as, as having real fans and in real stadiums. I, I'm interested to see what it looks like. I'm going to check it out. But I just uh, – I don't think I was excited about it as it would be if I got to see him play at the Staples Center or play, you know, Madison Square Garden or all the great venues you have in the NBA. Well, no, that's a compelling point, and here's why. This is the year that we are going to be deprived, potentially, of an all-L.A. Staples Center Western Conference Finals between the Lakers and Clippers. Yeah. I've always wanted to see that happen where, you know, two teams share the same arena in basketball and you stay there for all seven games. I mean, we've, we've not seen anything like that in sports, Dan, since like uh, the Yankees and Dodgers in baseball or no, no, the Yankees and Giants in baseball. I think when they both played in the same stadium before Yankee Stadium was built back in like the 1920s. 
I mean, th- this would be something just historically awesome. And we don't get to see that. Obviously, you know, everybody will be playing in the same arena now in the Orlando bubble. So I guess we kind of get it that way, but not, you know, to the tune that we were wanting. And I just don't know how the playoffs, as far as the buildup on the networks is going to go, because think about all the years, you know, you'll see TNT or um, ESPN um, building up the prelude to a playoff game. And there will be like a dramatic intro where they say the series is shifting now tonight to um, Staples Center. It shifts tonight to the United Center in Chicago for an exciting game three. And the crowd is raucous. You're not going to have that this year. It's just going to be an empty arena, basically. And so I, I just think that we're going to definitely be deprived of a lot of uh, energy surrounding these playoff games. Well, especially because I think basketball has the greatest home field advantage of any sport there is. The fans are closer. If they can make an impact, like throwing something on the floor, points are louder. And if you notice it, they make the most difference in the games. Free throws, they can make an effect on someone making or missing a free throw. Uh, you know, I feel like a lot of times uh, basketball fans are at their feet, uh, or basketball players are at the field and feed off the energy of fans more so than any other sport. And you're not going to see that this year. And you're right, when it comes to a seven-game playoffs series, usually you think about uh, if you're the favorite team, uh, you would have the two games, I believe, they'd be away first, right? And so your goal is to always, if you're the favorite team, to at least split one out of two so you can come home and get those two wins you think you're going to get so you can be out 3-1. Now, I mean, if you get down 3-0, it's not like, you know, you're going to have to worry about winning all on the road. If you're the better team, you can just go out and win four games in a row. And it's not as difficult. Yeah. I mean, it suddenly makes, you know, things like that that have always been unprecedented, you know, maybe achievable, maybe an obtainable goal, not completely unreasonable. I mean, it's going to be weird. Um, and it's going to be, you know, a storyline where, you know, I'm excited to see the games resuming. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, really interested to see how this works. But it's just not going to be the same. And historically, I'm going to be fascinated to see how the champion that emerges from this bubble is uh, regarded, you know, like, um, if LeBron James, you know, wins his fourth ring in the Orlando bubble, which it looks like they should be the favorites, of course. I guess either them, Milwaukee, or the Clippers. I mean, how do you think that will impact his legacy? Well, Joe, I think the Clippers are going to win it this year because wouldn't that be the best Clippers thing ever to do, to win it on a year where it seems like the season's messed up, people aren't playing games everywhere, and you can kind of write it off as an afterthought than winning it. So i got to think this year favorites the Clippers to win it now. Yeah, I mean, it definitely would be, you know, the most Clipper thing to do. Like I thought before in baseball, this would be the year the Cleveland Indians, you know, finally win their first World Series in 72 years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, just the ultimate curse breaker, and it's the one that nobody cares about. So, yeah, uh, like I said, I think this, this all trends towards the Clippers uh, winning it. And I think people problem with it, it'll just add to his legacy. I don't think people are going to hold it that much against him. But I think they would hold it against a franchise like the Clippers or like the Indians. They were to go out and win, win a championship this year. Um, you know, speaking of championships, we've got two teams that we're going to look at in college football 
that may have a chance to win either an SEC or a national championship. And uh, we'll go into that at the, the beginning of the next show. Um, you know, want to tell all of our listeners that they need to check out our Spotify page, the Andrew Sports Show on Spotify. Catch all the world episodes on there. They get uploaded weekly. And uh, also check out our fan page, the Dan and Jason Sports Show fan page on Facebook. And you can also like us on Twitter at DJ Sports Show. And as always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe.